Hey, everybody, this is Brian Zond. Welcome to my sermon podcast. Now, before we get into the sermon, though, I want to tell you that I have a live in-person prayer school coming up Friday night, Saturday morning, November 3rd and 4th. So if you can be with us, we would love to have you for prayer school in the upper room right here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri, Friday night, Saturday morning, November 3rd and 4th. And then if you want, you can stay around for Sunday. That's our anniversary Sunday. We're celebrating 42 years here at Word of Life. So to register, it's it's registration for a donation of any amount. Go to wolc.com slash prayer school for the in-person prayer school November 3rd and 4th. This morning, I want us to go to the book of Revelation. And so if you have a Bible with you, either a real Bible or one of those fake digital Bibles on your phone, it's not really fake, it's just not my preference, but if you have a copy of some form of the scriptures, let me encourage you to go. Revelation 7 is where we're gonna be this morning. And I know to even open up the book of Revelation is somewhat dangerous. You know, there were debates in the early church about which books would enter into the New Testament canon. And Revelation was one of the debated books. People weren't so sure, should we include this? And I don't know, I kind of wish they would have said, maybe we'll keep this one out of the canon. But it made it, so we receive it as holy inspired scripture. But the book of Revelation is somewhat dangerous and I am aware of that. So before we even get to Revelation 7, a couple of thoughts. First, the book of Revelation is not a revelation of the Antichrist. It's not a revelation of the end times. It's not a revelation of the end of the world. It's not a revelation of the current Israeli-Palestinian conflict. In fact, if you go to the book of Revelation looking for those things, you're going to miss the point because the book of Revelation first and foremost is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's actually how the book of Revelation begins. Revelation chapter one, verse one, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He, that's John the Revelator, made it known by sending his angels to his servant John, that's John the Revelator, who testified to the word of God, and this is what he's testifying to, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. This is the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. That's always the answer, by the way. If the preacher sets you up and you're supposed to answer, it's usually God, Jesus, or Bible. So you can always answer one of those and you'll probably get it right. So we read the book of Revelation like we read any book of the Bible, and that is we're looking for Jesus. Second, we want to read the book of Revelation in its historical context. That is within the context of the first century Jewish and Christian and Roman world. Notice in the opening, it mentions things that are soon to take place. I mean, I know at the end of 
Revelation chapter 21, there is an image of the future, the new heavens, the new earth, the holy city coming down and God dwelling with God's people. So there is in Revelation some forward looking, but we wanna start primarily by reading it in its historical context, recognizing that the book of Revelation is filled with very complex metaphors and imagery. And so we need to work towards interpreting those images with a whole lot of humility. All right, if I can be honest with you this morning, I don't understand half of the images in the book of Revelation. I read it, I ask for God to lead me, but I, I don't understand it all. When anybody says to you they have the perfect revel or, uh, interpretation of the book of Revelation, know that they do not. Uh, even if they write books and put it out there and get lots of reviews on Amazon. No, we need to interpret this with a lot of humility. And then third, what we have in the book of Revelation is a series of heavenly visions. We get to peek into another world. So John the Revelator, and we don't believe that this is John the Apostle. We don't really know exactly who this John is. So I'm gonna call him John the Revelator. Receives this unfolding and very complex set of heavenly visions. And so for me, I imagine that John the Revelator is walking into a large domed building. And so he walks inside and when he gets inside, it's dark and the ceiling is painted white. And he walks into this large, dark domed building with this domed white ceiling. And then up on the ceiling, an image is projected and he, he watches this image and he's noting what he sees. And then all of a sudden it, it darkens. And then off to his left, another image is projected up on the screen and he's seeing something and he's, he's writing it down, these collection of heavenly vision. And so the book of Revelation does allow us to enter into that heavenly world. And one of, I think, the most important things about the book of Revelation, I mean, the real value for me in this book is that we get images of worship in heaven. And I think that that helps us as we worship here on earth. So with that foundation, let's jump in. Revelation chapter 7 and I want to start with verse 9, Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. Now, remember that the book of Revelation is highly symbolic. It's highly metaphorical. And there's lots of different images. And again, we need a lot of humility in trying to sort out the images. But one of the primary images in the book that I think we can rightly interpret is this image of the lamb. Because I believe this is Jesus. Whenever we see the lamb in the book of Revelation, we are looking at Jesus. And really, I think this is one of the keys. If you're reading through Revelation, and I encourage you to do so, one of the keys to understanding the book is simply to keep your eyes on the lamb. 
Like just pay attention to the lamb and what the lamb is doing and what people are doing when they're around the lamb. Keep your eyes on the lamb. And what we see here at the beginning of this heavenly vision is that there's this great multitude and they have come from every nation and tribe and people and tongues. This, this giant multi-ethnic family is surrounding the throne, worshiping he who sits on the throne and the lamb. And this is a picture of the church. This is who we are. We're a big multi-ethnic transnational family spread out all throughout the world, all throughout the earth. And this is a heavenly picture of the church in worship, worshiping the lamb. Continue on verse 10. They cried in a loud voice. They cried out in a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. Their worship was expressive. Again, part of the value here is getting to see worship in heaven so we understand how we worship here on earth. And worship is not just thinking good thoughts about God. Now, thinking good thoughts about God is good, right? If you have thoughts about God, I hope they're good thoughts. That's a good thing to do. But thinking good thoughts about God is not Christian worship, that's Christian meditation. A good practice, but it's not worship. Worship is what we do with our bodies that expresses something within our hearts. Worship is expressive. And we, we see that here in Revelation 7, right? They have palm branches in their hands and they cry out loud. They cry in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Now, salvation is God's work. Salvation is God's activity. Salvation is what God is doing to rescue us and restore us and to heal us and to transform us. And so they are expressing their worship here in Revelation 7. And that worship is given both to God and to the Lamb. Now it's God on the throne and the lamb is there. And in just a moment, we're gonna see actually the lamb at the center of the throne. But, but you know how visions are. Visions are a little bit like dreams where kind of one image kind of blurs into another. So right now the lamb is there. We're gonna see the lamb on the throne in just a second. But we see this worship and it's worship to God and the lamb. The lamb is worshiped. Verse 11. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God singing, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Can you feel the energy in that? There's energy in, in that worship. And notice here that everybody gets involved. The angels, the elders, no, no spectators, right? Everyone is a participant involved together in singing praise to God. Now, worship is more than singing. Often we reduce worship simply down to singing. So the singing portion of our service, sometimes we call that worship. But singing, while it's more than worship, it's not less. Singing in worship is a part of what Christians have done from the very beginning as one of the ways to express with our bodies things that are in our hearts. 
And we see that here. We see singing in heaven. Why do we sing songs on Sunday morning? Because this is how worship in heaven happens. We sing our praise. Verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me, that's John the Revelator, saying, who are these robed in white and where have they come from? I said to him, sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, these are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. The lamb who is worshiped here in Revelation is the lamb who was slain. Of course, now we begin to see that this is Jesus. Jesus is the lamb of God. Remember what John the Baptist said. When John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan River, he sees Jesus coming. And this is in John the Apostle, Apostle John's gospel in John 1, 29. John the Baptist sees Jesus approaching and John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so in this heavenly vision, in Revelation 7, that image of Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it's that image that's being drawn upon. So this Lamb who is worshipped, this Lamb who's reigning on a throne is the Lamb who was slain, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's a lot that we can say about the blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus. How exactly does the blood of Jesus save us from sin? There's a lot of things that we can say about that. But one of the things, and maybe the simplest way of understanding it, is that the death of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, takes away our sin. Right? I think that's a great way to think about it because sin is, well, sin is all that stuff that we do to make a mess of things. Sin is all the ways that we miss the mark. Sin is when we fail to love God and to love one another. All those kind of things are sin. So Jesus comes as the Lamb of God to take away all of that sin. And what we see in Revelation 7 is that those who are worshiping around the throne, they have robes that have been made white in the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that a crazy image? Again, lots of metaphor, lots of imagery, but this is a crazy one. That their, their robes, which are symbolic of their life, their soul, are made white. They are clean by blood. It's a crazy image because, I mean, normally we're trying to find, you know, laundry detergent that'll get blood stains out of our clothes. Right? Remember, there used to be commercials like that. There used to be laundry detergent commercials. Even takes blood stains out of your shirt. Which I always wondered like, man, if you got blood stains on your shirt, maybe laundry isn't your biggest priority right now. I mean, you got, you got something else happening in your life. Right? We, blood doesn't make things clean. Blood soils things, right? We need the detergent that'll clean that out. But here it's a, it's a counterintuitive metaphor that blood doesn't stain, but actually blood purifies, blood cleanses us of our sin. Verse 15. For this reason, they are before the throne of God because their robes have been 
washed clean. For that reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. So the reason that we worship and that our worship is expressive because we know what Jesus has done for us. And because we're the ones in white robes, we know what God has done for us in Jesus. Our response to that is worship. And when we prioritize worship above anything else, what we find is that God takes care of us. Shelter and drink and protection. Verse 17. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I want you to think about the images in just that one verse, Revelation 7, 17. Let me, let me read it one more time and pay attention to the images here. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Earlier in this heavenly vision, it's God on the throne and the lamb is there. But now it, John the Revelator sees that the lamb is actually at the center. The lamb's at the center of the throne. I read this passage back in the fall of 2020. Do you, do you remember 2020? You know, that's three years ago. Do you remember 2020? That was, that was a crazy time, right? I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs win Super Bowl 54. And that was like, ah, we were up in the glory. Like it was good. Everything was good. Right, Jenny and I ate at Q39, like a couple weeks after the Super Bowl, ate barbecue, Q39 in Kansas City. And I asked our server, I said, I heard Andy Reid came in here and had a big meal. Oh yeah, Andy and his wife, Coach Reid came in here, had a meal right after the Super Bowl. I said, what did he have? He said, well, he had a salad with his brisket and then he had mac and cheese. I said, oh, I'm not here for a salad, but give me some of that mac and cheese. I mean, he could have not been telling me the truth, right? He could have just been trying to sell his mac and cheese, but it worked. Right? So February 2020, I mean, everything was good. Unless you're a fan of the 49ers. Sorry about that. But everything was good. And then March 2020, right? This global pandemic. And then the vaccines and all the controversy about vaccines. And then the home quarantine. All you introverts, introverts were like, hey, it wasn't so bad. But you know, we we're stuck at home, we're working from home. Kids are doing school at home. There was this resurgence of racial injustice and there was that crazy presidential election. It just seemed like everything happening in 2020 was all coalescing together to reveal how polarized and angry and divided we really are. 
And so it's fall of 2020, and I'm reading my Bible in the morning. I'm following the lectionary. I read in the Old Testament, epistles, gospels every morning, and I'm reading the epistle readings in Revelation, and it has me right here, Revelation 7:17. for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And that image just like it, it settled in my heart a little bit. Like I was thinking about that all day long. I mean, sometimes I read the Bible in the morning, close the book and I forget everything I just read, <laughs> which is okay if that happens to you, it's fine. Just keep reading the thing. That's what we do. I've been reading it for 30 years, just keep reading. But there's sometimes, maybe you've had this experience that it's almost like the Holy Spirit just kind of lifts up a phrase or an image and just kind of puts it in your, in your heart, in your gut. And just all day that day, this was, I think, October, 2020. I just was thinking about that. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And I thought, Lord, that's what we need. Like that's what we need right now in this crazy time we were in. We need the lamb at the center. And so that uh, January, January, 2021, I led an online small group called the lamb at the center. Some of you were a part of that. Some of you onlineers uh, were a part of that online small group where we, for 10 weeks, I was talking about what does it look like to have the Lamb of God at the center of everything that we do? And out of the discussions of the Lamb at the center uh, came this book that I wrote, Centering Jesus, available now at the porch. It's not supposed to be a commercial, it really isn't. But I wrote Centering Jesus because I felt both in 2020 and I feel it even more today that what we need in our angry, antagonistic, divided world and divided church is a fresh imagination of Jesus as the Lamb of God and keeping Jesus as the Lamb at the center of everything that we do. That's what we need. Now, the church has used this image of Jesus as the Lamb of God in its worship going back at least to the sixth century. Often this image of Jesus as the lamb is in stained glass. In Latin, it's the Agnus Dei. And you'll see this in stained glass uh, in older churches and more modern churches. This is a common image. And what I want you to do is let's just take a moment and we'll do what John the Baptist says and behold the lamb. Right? We believe in Jesus. I know you believe in Jesus. That's why you're here. I know you believe in Jesus because you're watching online. We believe in Jesus, but let's behold Jesus for just a moment. Look at this image of Jesus as the Lamb of God and just ponder for a moment. Just let your mind wander for just a moment. Don't, don't turn away. You can look at your phone later. You'll just, just for just a moment. Let's behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I believe it's this image of Jesus that will shape us and transform us and rescue us from this evil, angry age. And we need to take time to simply behold Jesus 
Because we become like that which we behold. We grow into the image we gaze upon. We are formed into the person we focus on. So I believe there's a needed spiritual practice of beholding the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because there's nothing that can get manipulated. There's nothing I can do to add that, to simply be in the presence of God and to imagine, to use Christian imagination, to imagine Jesus as not the roaring lion, but the lamb who has been slain, the lamb at the center. I think as we meditate on that, as we behold the lamb, I think we become less angry. We become more merciful. We become less divided and we become more agents of healing. I think we need the lamb of God at the center of everything that we do. So back to Revelation 7. Look at this verse one more time. Revelation 7, 17. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Notice that the lamb is a shepherd. The lamb is our shepherd. Normally, lambs are following the shepherd. At least that's what I've been told, right? Like I grew up in the city. I grew up in Myrna Manor North, about three miles from here. I grew up in town, right? I, I don't really have firsthand experience with farm animals. Uh, really the only experience I have up close and personal with like farm animals is right here at Word of Life Church at the Christmas Eve service. Uh, because you won't see me on Christmas Eve because I'm backstage with the actors and with all the animals and the animal handlers. And uh, the family from Oklahoma that brings the animals, the camels, the sheep, uh, Django, the donkey, it's been the same donkey for years and years and years now. Um, one year they came, they had a little lamb with them. And I was backstage in the Implex uh, where props go to die. Uh, it's a storage room back here at church. Um, I was back here in the Implex with, uh, there, there was grown sheep and this little lamb. And I was watching that little lamb, like just like a little toddler, just exploring and being rambunctious and checking things out. And, and then the shepherds come in, you know, then the wise men come in, their camels, and then the camels go out. And then I came and sat on the front row uh, after the camels left just to watch. And the shepherds were up here by the stable. And we, there was a teenage girl who was a shepherd and she was holding on to that lamb, but her grip wasn't really tight. That little lamb was trying to wiggle its way out. And I'm sitting on the front row about ready to lose my mind because I thought if this lamb gets loose, it's going to run all over the platform. It's going to upstage the baby Jesus and ruin our whole Christmas Eve service. And I was, I was nervous. And uh, my oldest son, Wesley, was a teenager at the time. And he was one of the shepherds in the shepherd costume. He saw it happening. He saw that little lamb all wiggling around. And so he reaches down. He just scoops up that lamb, holds it close to his chest, tucks in the little lamb legs under his arms. And I watched him when he did that. And that little lamb just kind of turned and then just sort of did its little lamb thing, right? Like there was no fear that lamb was gonna ruin our service at that point. Cause it's, you know, little lambs are all cute and cuddly. 
Jesus, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, rules and reigns as a lamb. And he leads us as a shepherd, as a lamb. I'm still struck by how counterintuitive that is because lambs are cute and cuddly, right? They don't evoke thoughts of strength and courage that you normally expect from great leaders or kings. But this is who King Jesus is. He rules and reigns as a lamb. I wanna read to you a little bit from Centering Jesus because I just... I I like the way I sum it up here. This is from the last chapter of the reign of the lamb. And it's a reflection of what we just read in Revelation 7. John's heavenly vision is an earthly vision for us. All other visions and interpretations of Jesus fail to capture the essence of King Jesus of how he rules and reigns. Jesus didn't come to rule in the way of tyrants and warriors. We may prefer a warrior king who humiliates his enemies and imposes his agenda on the world through domination and brute force. But this kind of rule is not the way the kingdom of Jesus comes. Theologian and professor Miroslav Volf notes that what is most surprising in the book of Revelation is that, quote, at the center of the throne, This is Wolf's words. At the center of the throne, holding together both the throne and the whole cosmos that is ruled by the throne, we find the sacrificed lamb. At the very heart of the one who sits on the throne is the cross. Jesus rules as the slain lamb and we enter his saving rule by rejecting all other kingdoms. We turn to the lamb who reigns with trust in our hearts and worship on our lips. We live as citizens of this kingdom with John's vision in our hearts and with our eyes fixed on the lamb centered on the throne. And as we center Jesus as the lamb in all things, I hear Jesus offering three invitations for us today. Number one, the lamb is not inviting us to fight for him. He is inviting us to worship him. Followers of Jesus who have the lamb at the center look less like culture war warriors with angry fists lifted high. Rather, they look like worshipers who have open hands lifted high, who worship in spirit and in truth he who sits on the throne. With the lamb at the center, we can no longer weaponize the Bible and weaponize prayer as a way to protest those we perceive to be enemies. Protests, whether online or in person, protests have to go. That's not what Jesus is looking for. He's not looking for fighters. He's looking for worshipers. Invitation number two, the lamb is not asking us to defend him. He is asking us to imitate him. The way he leads us is what he is leading us into. Jesus leads us as the peaceable lamb and is leading us into his peaceable kingdom. He doesn't need us to fight for him or defend him or take a stand for him. Remember when Jesus was arrested, standing before Pilate, He said, if my kingdom was of this world, my disciples would be fighting. They weren't fighting because Jesus wasn't fighting. 
He's not looking for us to defend him. Rather, Jesus is looking for us to enter into our world looking like the cruciform slain lamb of God. Jesus isn't looking for us to make a stand for what is right. Jesus is looking for us to live in a way that is right. And third imitation, the lamb is not calling us to conquer the world for him. He is calling us to bear witness to him. Conquering the world is not our job. We don't have to do that. That's Jesus' job. And actually Christ our King has conquered and is currently the ruling and reigning King of Kings, Lord of Lords, who rules as the Lamb of God. Our job is simply to point to Jesus, to bear witness to Jesus, to tell people about Jesus. And the simplest way that you can tell someone else about Jesus is simply to talk about what Jesus has done in your life. See, we tell the Jesus story, the gospel, by simply telling our own story. This is what we do as an individual. We simply tell our story. We're in telling our story, pointing to Jesus. This is what Jesus has done. And then what we do together as a church to point to Jesus, to bear witness to Jesus, what we do together corporately is we come to Holy Communion. It is at the communion table. This is where we bear witness to Jesus because in Holy Communion, this is how we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what scripture tells us. So let's prepare ourselves to come to the table of the Lord. I believe that of all of the practices of worship, this one is central. And this is how we keep the lamb at the center. It's through the practice of Holy Communion. So stand up with me. And we want to prepare ourselves to come to the table. Well, because it, it requires a little preparation. We celebrate communion here at Word of Life every Sunday morning. And often what I hear, not here, but in other places. Well, if you, if you practice communion every Sunday, then it will lose its specialness. It'll lose its sacredness. And I can just tell you my own story, just, just testify my own, my own experience. I've been receiving communion, receiving and serving communion for 12 years, not just once a week, but twice a week. And for me, it has lost none of its specialness. I think what becomes more or less special is you and your heart. I mean, you can just come down here in a moment and everybody is invited. Everybody is invited to the Lord's table and you can come down here and you can go through the motions, take your bread, dip it in the cup, eat it and walk on and it, it, it will become commonplace for you. But if you treat Holy Communion as the invitation of Jesus to come and encounter him, to meet him, if you come with that holy anticipation and you come with humility in your heart, I believe it won't lose any of its specialness. There's times for me, not just receiving communion, but serving communion, where I'm, I'm moved to tears because I know your story, so many of you. I know your heartache. I know your pain. And so when we stand and, and we get to serve you, the body and blood of Christ, I believe that this is healing for your soul, that this is your moment to meet with Jesus. 
And so let's do two things. Let's first confess our Christian faith together. We'll use the words of the Apostles' Creed for that. And then we will offer a prayer of confession. And then we'll have ushers who will dismiss you, show you where to go. And then we will commune with Jesus. But first, let's confess our Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now join me. Let's confess our sins together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And the good news today is that God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. And now this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. It is the Lord's will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. 